Hey, before we uh, <clears throat> jump right into the sermon, um, we have a core meeting after second service, right after second service to uh, vote on uh, our pastor of student ministries position, David Mead, who's coming from Arizona. Um, so if you'd like to be a part of that, it's after second service. And also, if you would please, I, I have good news and bad news. The good news is we probably had the best giving month in July of all time here at the church. The bad news is we have so many things come up. We have to finish off the offices. We have, we're hiring a bunch of new staff, and those offices upstairs in the office building who've been over there, they're, they're not really up to, up to snuff. So we've got to renovate some of those offices. We've had some other things come in. Getting, getting David from Arizona is not going to be too easy either when it comes to moving someone across the country. So though it was a great giving month, um, all the way around it was a great month here at Grace Chapel, we're still uh, you know, behind in the sense of these are bills that we didn't expect. They're unexpected types of things. So um, if you would, please remember your tithe. Just kind of think about that. Because if you think about it with me, I'm less stressed. If you don't think about it, then I've got to figure it out by myself how we're going to kind of move this around and cash flow and all that kind of thing. So the more that comes in, the more you take off your pastor's mind. And I'm just being honest, because if it doesn't come in this week sometime, I've um, got to kind of figure it out. And that just takes time that I don't want to take from other things. Um, and remember, again, the group that's going to uh, Kenya here on Thursday, taking a group of five people to Kenya. That's going to be an exciting, exciting trip, and we'll, get, uh, we'll hear from them when they get back. But um, just remember all those things. All right, we're in Habakkuk, still in Habakkuk. We're in Chapter 3. Um, we'll finish off this series next week and then go into a new series. But Habakkuk Chapter 3, and we're, we're talking about when life doesn't go your way. You know, we went through Jonah, now we're going through Habakkuk. And what we've learned over the past few weeks is that God is going to judge the, his people. He's going to judge Judah. He's going to, he's going to come along and he's going to, he's going to judge them for the, the behavior that they've been going through, the way they've turned away from him, not taking care of those who are in need, and the pride and arrogance. And so God's going to judge them because of their hardened heart. But we also found out that God is going to judge Babylon. He's going to use Babylon, the Babylonians, to judge his people. We found out that Habakkuk's not really thrilled about that. You know, he, he's going through all this, you know. And a couple weeks ago in chapter 1, we talked about Habakkuk's complaining and arguing. And I said, well, I think you're, we're, you know, we're picking on him a little bit to call it complaining. But no, he was complaining. He was definitely complaining. Um, I was wrong. As I, as I keep going through this, see, he's going through this, this wave. He's going through this, this, this kind of struggle. So Habakkuk is, is, is struggling. He's going through these complaints saying, God, why? And then and, and he talks about how he, God talks about how he's going to use Babylon to judge Judah. And, and Habakkuk's like, wait a second, they're worse than we are. But he also finds out in chapter 2 that God is going to judge the Babylonians as well. Habakkuk knew that God was never going to break his covenant with his people. So even though they were going to come under judgment, Habakkuk knew that because of the covenant that, and the promises that God made to his people, ultimately, ultimately, Judah would be restored. They would be restored. But Habakkuk learned something else in this whole, this whole scenario here. He was going to have to wait. He was going to have to wait. The prophecy that God had given him would not take place overnight. 
You know, we like to, I don't know about you, but if someone says to me, I have good news and I have bad news, I want to hear the bad news first. That's just personality. I want to get it over with. You know, if there's something that needs to be done, I don't like to wait around a week and think about it. The, one of the worst things people can do to me is tell me on Friday, hey, I really need to talk to you about something important, and I'll tell you when we meet on Monday. And so the whole week, weekend, I'm like, oh, I wonder what they're going to say. I wonder what's happening, what's going on. Usually it's no big deal when people do that, you know, because you don't want to, you, you want to get it over with. If someone says to you, I have something difficult to tell you, you want to know right now. But Habakkuk, we find out he, he has to wait. This prophecy that God has given him is not going to take place overnight. And in the meantime, Habakkuk would have to live by faith in God's promises. And you see this shift. In his attitude, you see the shift in his heart you see, as, as he goes through this waiting process. As a matter of fact, he would have to wait 70 years for this prophecy to ultimately for, for it to turn all the way around. When the Persians, it took 70 years, 70 years later, the Persians conquered Babylon and allowed God's people to go back to their homeland. So 70 years he would have to wait. Didn't know that at the time, but that's how long he would have to wait. And, and, and that, obviously, that's a struggle. I mean, think about it. How do you feel when God says wait? How do you feel when you have to wait on God? When you have to wait on God for a business deal or you have to wait on God for a job? I mean, this, 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 from 2008 till now, it's been amazing for me to interact with so many of you who've lost your jobs and you're waiting for this job and you're, you're going, you, you're praying about it and you're saying, God, I, I really would like to find this career or this job position. And then you think you have it. You're waiting, you're waiting. You think you're there and all of a sudden it doesn't pan out. It's overwhelming to have to wait for something like that, to have to wait for a spouse. And for me, like for my mom, when I came to Christ, it took my mom nine years to come to Christ. She would say things like, well, well, I want to wait till I'm a better person. You know, I don't, I don't want to, I want, if I make a decision, I want to make sure I can live by it. And I try to explain to her, Mom, you know, God will take you as you are, and then you will slowly become a stronger person spiritually. But she waited nine years. And I, I, but, you know, for me, I remember sitting on, sitting on my bed and just crying out to God, you know, bring my mom, bring my dad, bring my brother, bring my, to Christ. Bring them, draw them closer to you. I had to wait. I had to wait. And that was hard. It was so hard. Maybe some of you have children that have walked away from the Lord. You know, they're just, they took that right hand or left hand turn and they're out there in the world and they're doing all, and you're, and you're praying to God, God, bring them back. Bring them back to yourself. But I'm telling you, it is extremely hard to wait. I personally am not very good at waiting. If I'm an amusement park, Disney World or whatever, Disneyland or, or, or Kings Island, doesn't really matter. And they say, okay, this ride from this point here takes one hour. I mean, I'll go look for another ride. I'm thinking, I'm not standing an hour in the sun waiting for, I don't care how good the ride is. I'm not going to wait for a ride, for this ride. I, if I'll get a fast pass at Disney or whatever else and come back later on. I don't like to wait. If I go to a restaurant and they said, you know, they say, well, how long is the wait? 30 minutes. Sometimes... I'll just get in the car and drive around for 30 minutes and find a place that has no wait. Because I'd rather drive around than stand there and wait. Remember that Seinfeld episode where they went to that Chinese restaurant and they kept on waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting? I, I'm not very good at waiting. I don't know about you guys. I've become better as I've gotten older, but waiting is just not the thing I like to do. I don't think a lot of people, if we show, show a hands, I would say most of you don't like to wait. But Habakkuk here in chapter 3, we see his heart of faith. See, there's a change going on. 
You read chapter 1, you read chapter 2, and you see the complaining and him arguing with God and him struggling with God. But like many of us, that's why if you read the, as you read the Bible, these people are not much different than you or me in so many ways. Because in the beginning, when we find out something is happening, we're saying, he's saying, God, look what my people are doing. They're, they, they've got these things. They're building altars other, to other gods in the temple, and they're, they're not taking care of the poor, and they're, they're living in such debaucherous ways. And, and, and he's saying, do something. And then God comes along and does something, and he complains about that. First, he's complaining that God's not doing anything about his own people and how they're living. Then he's complaining that God says, okay, I'm going to do something about it. But Habakkuk says, I don't like what you're going to do about it. And he goes through this. And then he kind of gets the weekend, if you will. I don't know, some, of you are, some of you are like that. I know some of you. You don't like it, but if, you, if I just give you the weekend, you think about it, you pray about it, you kind of mull it over, you walk through it in your mind, and after all the... Uh, ah, uh, uh, you come to the realization that, you know what, God is in control. You know? And what, what, really, what really comes out of all that is the true character of who you are. Your faith begins to emerge. After all the questioning, after all the complaining, we find the true character of Habakkuk. Remember what Drew said last week? He said that reputation is what you want other people to think about you, but character is what God thinks about you. And I think so, so many of you, so many people within the church, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll question God. We'll go through those ups and downs. But at the end of the day, you know what? Even if you, even if you go away from the church for a few months, you're frustrated about something. Not that happened within the church, just in your own life. You're frustrated. Something, something went wrong and you're angry with God. But after a while, your, your character comes through and you realize, Lord, I don't, totally understand this i don't this doesn't make complete sense to me but i trust you that's your faith and your character coming through in the end habakkuk was a man of faith unlike jonah where at the end of the book it's just like really that's how it ends habakkuk here is a man of faith a faith that will not give up because it's rooted firmly in the unchanging character and promises of god he's rooted firmly he knows his God. And though he may get frustrated, and may he, get, he may get overwhelmed, he ultimately understands and knows his God. He knows his God. In chapter 3, verse 1, we read a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, on Shinganoth. Chapter 3 takes the form of a psalm. A psalm is a, a poem that music is added to. So you have a poem with, with, uh, with, uh, with set to music. Shinganoth is a, a musical term. It has to do with uh, the, uh, the certain kind of instrument or the tempo of the music. It also says it uses the word prayer, a prayer of Habakkuk. And that word translated prayer basically has to do with, uh, it's related to a psalm. And so he's crying out to God. Also, like many of the Psalms, it contains a personal and maybe compassionate or, or emotional cry to God. Where, you know, I, that, Jen and I wrote that song, I Want to Be Where the Rain Ends, a couple of years back. I wrote the words of that song, and as I was going through this, and I, was, I try to relate to the different characters in the Bible and try to understand what they're going through. And I remember a couple of years ago, man, it was, it was challenging for a lot of different reasons, a lot of challenges going on, and we wrote that song. 
And it was kind of like a psalm to me, you know. It was, it, was, it was what you're feeling in your heart. And then someone comes along and puts music to what you were feeling in your heart. Where you, I want to be where the rain ends. You know, I want to face a new day. And so that's what's happening here. This is what he's writing in chapter, in chapter 3. It's a psalm, but it's set to music, and he's crying out to God, that emotional cry. And it's something that, that you and I, as we read it, we can, we can relate to it. We can understand it and make it our own. Did you ever know something bad was going to happen, and then you react to it? You ever know, you, you, you know, you know something bad is going to happen. I talked about this a little bit earlier, and then you react to it. So you react, you get emotional, and you're crying out and you, to God, and you're frustrated. But then, but then you, you take that time, like I said, and you start to reflect, not react. You begin to reflect, and your emotions are focused. Before, in the beginning, I don't know how I could, you know, show you visually, but, you know, when, 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 you, when you hear something bad is going to happen, when you know, you know something bad is coming, and so you get frustrated, and you're emotionally just, like, flailing all over the place. You know what I mean? Your emotions are all over the place. But then you start to reflect, and your emotions are much more focused. You still feel it, right? You still feel it. You have that intensity, but your emotions are now focused, your faith allows you to focus and you start asking God. You start talking to God. You start asking God for strength. He, you ask him to help you understand. You ask him, Lord, I know this is going to be hard. But as I go through this season of my life, I pray that you get, help me get something out of it. That you'd help me walk through this struggle in my life. And that you would, at the end, Lord, let me walk away from this stronger than when we started. And it's those people who just keep flailing emotionally who never learn anything. They're angry, they're ticked, they walk away from God for a, while, for a long while, but you know, slowly maybe they'll come back. But the reality is they don't learn from those experiences. Habakkuk ultimately comes back into focus and says, God, I don't, I don't particularly uh, like this whole thing, but I trust you. I trust you. So let's look a little closer at this psalm and what it reveals about Habakkuk's relationship to God. In verse 2, it says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day, in our time. Make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. This structure here is often used in Scripture especially in the Psalms, it looks back to the glorious days of God's people. That's what he's doing. You, this is, you read through sometimes, you don't kind of get it, but here's what he's doing. He's looking back at the glorious days. And this happens often, this kind of structure in, in Scripture, especially, like I said, in, in the Psalms. And so he's looking back to the glory days of the people, you know, of God's people. And then he's contrasting that with what's happening, the present circumstances of what's happening right now. And then he says to God, hey, God, bring back the good old days. That's what he's saying. He's looking at, he's looking at, you know, he's thinking, oh, remember when this was, remember when this was happening? And then he contrasts that with what's happening right now. He's saying, Lord, man, I just, I'm so overwhelmed. Just when are you going to bring back, when are you going to bring back the good old days? You ever feel that way? I know I do. You know what I love to watch? And the older I get, the more I really enjoy it. Andy Griffith, right? I, I love, I just, I don't know. I, I, love, I love Andy. I, and the older I get, the more I like it. I like, I, like to, I like to sit there and watch 
Andy and, and, and Barney and Opie and Goober, Gomer, whatever, either one, sitting on the porch. And, you know, they're sitting there. You know, just picture this in your mind. They're on those rocking chairs in their front porch. Or, and, and, the, and then Andy or, 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 you know, one of them will say, Barney will say, you know what I'd like to do is they rock. Why don't we go down to the corner drugstore and get a bottle of soda pop? And then one will just kind of sit there and they'll be silent for a little while and and someone will say, are we going to go back down to the store and get a bottle of soda pop or they're falling asleep, you know what I mean, on the porch. Or they'll be in their office and they'll, they'll be working in their office or just, and they'll be whistling or they'll be singing or, you know, just relaxing, breaking out the guitar and they'll just, they'll be filing something, breaking into a harmonizing song or something, you know. And it just, it just brings me back, you know. I, I love the, the, the good, well, quote, good old days. They never talk about, you ever hear Barney and, and Andy ever talk about social issues or the economy? You know, this is a show you can watch. They don't talk about anything significant, okay, about what they're going to do, you know, citizen's arrest, all that kind of stuff. There's nothing ever significant. It's always, you know, it's you're taking you back. So they're not talking about the economy. They're not talking about social issues. They live such simple lives. I think back 20 or 30 years and I'll tell you the truth, I long for a time when we weren't debating the definition of marriage. Or when, when you remember this, when, when terrorists, basically, when they hijacked the plane, they wanted you to take them to Cuba? Remember? <laughs> right? I mean, this was, this was the, you know, oh, a plane got hijacked. And I'm, make, I'm making it simple. I really am. There's probably other things that happened, but, you know. I remember the good old days when, you know, we had cold, the Cold War or, or the good old days when, when terrorists just wanted you to fly them to Cuba. They weren't looking to take a plane and fly it into a skyscraper. The good old days. That's what Habakkuk's looking here. He's saying he wants to think back, you know, but he, I, I thought about this too. I think the good old days are more in our minds or in our hearts than they are in reality, aren't they? They're more in our hearts and minds than they are in reality, but it's human nature to look back on things in the past and to think of all the good. I think I really do. I think it's just human nature. And in Habakkuk's case here, Habakkuk's thinking about the blessing of his people. So he's reminiscing. He's saying, God, you know, he's 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 taking it and he's kind of pulling it all together. He's saying, oh, I remember I remember when you were blessing us, Lord. But now we're in these circumstances where God is judging them. And he's saying, boy, I wish we could go back to the time where my people were being blessed. It is so it, it, it is so easy to compare that with the present when things don't seem to be going well and basically asking, it's so easy just to ask yourself, Lord, you know, what happened? And, and how do I get back to where we were before? That's what he's saying. He's saying, you know, it, it's, he's standing back and looking at the present and saying, you know, I don't like the present and I wish we could go back to where we were before. And Lord, how did we get here? And what is it going to take to get back to where we were? And, and Habakkuk cries out. Like Habakkuk, we, would often, we often would cry out for revival in our, in our land, in our community, in our nation. That some of the things, that, the way things are moving, somehow if the next election comes along, and we can get the right person in place and which never happens because they're all kind of the same. And so we're, we're hoping beyond hope that if we just make this move and we're praying to God, God, can you turn this around? I remember the way it used to be. I don't kind of like the way it is right now. But God, where, what do we need to do to get back to where we were? And so he cries out for revival. God's people are under judgment and he longs for the, for, for the days of old. 
for those good old days. The Bible says that whoever blesses Israel will be blessed and whoever curses Israel will be cursed. That's what the Bible says. But if, they, if God's people walk away, if they walk away from God's covenant, and, and, and if they don't listen to God's law, if they lay aside God's law, then the opposite is going to happen. And that's what they were doing here. Habakkuk longs for the days when God was judging Israel's enemies or Judah's enemies and the people were being blessed according to God's covenant, according to God's promises. That's what he's longing for. That's what he wants. I think we can all relate to that. Even in our own circumstance. We're nowhere near in this situation But I think we can all understand, and in order for you to get something out of this, I really think you need to put yourself in Habakkuk's place. Try to feel what he was feeling. Try to understand what he was going through when he was kind of longing for days past. Verse 3 says, God came from Temen, the Holy One from Mount Paran. Temen was the uh, chief city of, of Edom. And Edom was a nation that kind of grew out of um, the descendants of um, Esau, the brother of Jacob. So, you know, this is where we get this idea from. So that's where the the, the country, the the nation emerged from. And and, uh, these were close cousins of Israel and Judah. Okay, so... um, Temen was a close cousin, or Edom was a close cousin of Israel and Judah. <laughs> but they were most of the time, even though they were kind of cousins, most of the time they were enemies of God and they were enemies of God's people. Now, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? You, you all have cousins. You don't have to poke anybody because maybe I'm the other side of the family. But we all have these cousins who, when they come, we're like, oh my gosh, here come the cousins. Right? We rejoice. We're totally rejoicing when they leave because here comes the cousins. They're your cousins. You have to put up with them or whatever else, but it's the cousins you kind of don't like. And these, these, this was Temen. This was Edom. This was Edom coming from Esau, Jacob and Esau. So the city, the, 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 that, that group of people were, came out of Esau, Jacob's brother, and they were kind of these, uh, these cousins that no one particularly likes They were usually enemies of God, and they were enemies of God's people. Whenever the Bible talks about Temen, it's talking about usually the context is judgment or destruction. You know what I'm, right? People come to your house. (laughs) That's what you're thinking. Oh, when you think of them, you think of judgment and destruction, and that's what he was talking about here. Now, Now, there's two reasons. There's two reasons why Habakkuk remembers Edom and this great city, or their large city of Timon. First, it's an example, again, of the past where God would judge those people who were basically oppressing his people of Israel. So he, again, he's thinking back. He, he's thinking back to a time where God was judging those who were enemies of his, of his people, and he's remembering that. 
And if God, he's thinking to himself, if God can do that to Edom, then he can certainly do it to Babylon. There's hope. He's remembering his God. He's remem- there's, there's, it's not just a reminiscing of good, the good old days. He's doing what we should do. He's remembering God's faithfulness in the past. He's remembering God's holiness, that God has a covenant with his people, that God cares about his people, that God loves his people. Apply yourself now here, okay? And you're remembering what God has done in the past, and that brings hope. If God helped me then, then God can save me now. It may take a while, but the same God who did these things over and over and over again to Edom and Teman and all, these, and all our enemies in the past, ultimately, ultimately, I know God can do it again. And it brings him hope. It brings him hope. But there's, but there's a more direct reason. As Babylon, and we're talking about why he's writing this about, about, about this country. As Babylon attacks Judah, Edom stood on the sidelines and kind of egged them on and encouraged them. And then when it was all over, when it was all over, they came in, swooped in and kind of and took their and took their spoils. They took what was left over. That's what was happening here. So there's there's a there's a Edom is part of the past and the present situation. But what Habakkuk says here also recalls God's faithfulness and the way he brought them but he brought them to the promised land and he blessed them and he gave them his law. So there's there's so much going on here in his mind when he says God came from Teman, the holy one from Mount Paran. He's echoing Deuteronomy chapter 33 verses one through four. He's tying it together. Here's what it says. This is the blessing that Moses, the man of God, pronounced on the Israelites before his death. He said, the Lord came to Sinai. He, sh- he, he showed forth from Mount Paran. He came with myriads of holy ones from the south, from his mountain slopes. Surely it was you who loved the people. All the holy ones are in your hands. At your feet, they all bow down and from you receive instruction. The law that Moses gave us, the possession of the assembly of Jacob. You see the similarity. There's similarities here in this verse with Habakkuk chapter 3. Habakkuk is recalling the way that God brought his people from the south and the southwest through Edom, near Edom, Mount Paran, and then ultimately brought them into the promised land, the the land that he promised to their forefather, Abraham. He's walking through that process, the land which the Babylonians are now about to take over. This is what he's talking about. He gave them his law. He gave them himself. And the law that he gave Judah was now ignoring to their own peril. They were going to they were going to suffer great loss because they were ignoring what God has given to them. I want to tell you something. It's something you, as you're going through this, maybe you're kind of drifting off because I'm giving you all this background and everything and helping you understand what he's trying to say. But let's bring it back home now. This is something we all need to understand because the God of the Old Testament is exactly the same as the God of the New Testament. Jesus is the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, there's no difference here. This is something we all need to understand in our own lives. God had given them the law and they had rejected God's law. 
But remember I said a few weeks ago, how much more should they who know Christ? God not only gave us his word, the law, he also gave us the Holy Spirit and he gave us his son, Jesus Christ. And the same God who judged his people then for, to, to, in order to get their, their hearts changed and moving in a different direction, the same God of the Old Testament who was judging them will judge his people now the same way. Here's the problem for us, though. We not only have the word, we have the spirit and we have the living Christ in us. We have a savior. See, God wants us to live a life worthy of his calling. Always ask yourself, Old and New Testament, how much more should we who know Christ, should we who have the Holy Spirit, should we who have the Word of God? That's what we have to realize. This is not just a story from the Old Testament that you can kind of read by and go, what a knucklehead he was. What a knucklehead Jonah was. Why did they do that? It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with you and it has everything to do with me because the same God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament is going to judge his people if they're walking away from him. If you're doing something, he's going to try to change the trajectory of your life. He's going to try to change the direction of your life. Why? Because he loves you and wants to make sure you're not going in the wrong direction. Making sure that you're not, you're not going, you're not going in, into a place where somehow your, your life is going to be impacted. You see, they, these, these folks became comfortable. They stopped taking care of the needy. They, become proud, they became proud. They became arrogant. They walked away from God to their own peril. That's what we have to recognize. They forgot God. And my friends, when you forget God, when you walk away from God, and I'm not talking about walking away from God, just saying, you know, I don't believe in God anymore. I'm talking about just walking away from God in different areas of your life. It's a recipe for disaster. It's a recipe for disaster. Each one of us needs to do a spiritual evaluation of our own lives. Who or what are we living for? And if the answer doesn't come out God, if it comes out anything else but God, change the course of your life or you risk, and I say this, I say this sincerely, you risk his loving intervention. He loves you. He loved his people. And he wasn't going to allow them to go down the, a path that would ultimately destroy them. And he loves you. And he's not going to let you go down a path that will ultimately destroy you. Ask yourself this question. If someone followed me around from place to place, would they know that I'm a Christian? If someone followed me to this party I'm going to go to this week, if someone followed me in there and they were kind of taking notes, would, would, would my behavior reflect a Christ-like spirit? Would they know that I'm a Christian? If they follow me into my, into my place of business, if they follow me into my school or uh, the, the movies, if they, they just follow me or if someone followed me around, would, would my behavior in all those places, would my behavior reflect my relationship with Jesus Christ? And you say, well, that, that's kind of a hard standard. But here, I'm going to do, a, the next series is going to be called Don't Check Jesus at the Door. It's going to be four weeks for the rest of the summer. We'll finish up next week in this series, and then we're going to go into Don't Check Jesus at the Door. And now what I'm going to talk about is, hey, when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you can't, my friends, those of you who are graduating going on to college, that's what I'm going to be asking you. Questions like, are you going to check Jesus at the door of your dorm and then do what everybody else does? When it comes to movies or anything else, do you just check, do you just check Jesus at the door? 
That's the question that we need to ask ourselves. Because this is what these folks did. This is what Judah was doing. They were checking God at the door. They, they were so prosperous, everything was going so well for them, that they just forgot about their God. And that's a mistake. That leads to, that leads to real problems spiritually for whoever it is, whether it was them or whether it is us. Habakkuk continues in verse 3 to remember the great things that God has done. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his, ha- from his hand where his power was hidden. And then he recalls how his power was shown uh, in, in the judgment of other nations. He says this in verse 5. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the, the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. I saw the tents of, 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 of cushion in distress and dwellings of Midian in anguish. These verses are most likely Habakkuk's way of reflecting back to, to, the, the, to Egypt and, the, and, and their escape from Egypt, the exodus from Egypt. He continues in verse 8. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when, you're, when you rode with your horses and your, and your victorious chariots, you, cover, you uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. These, these verses allude to God's judgment on Egypt. God's judgment on Egypt when he turned the river to blood and the sea swallowed up their enemies. The parting of the sea. So he's alluding back to these references, but there, but there's also an allusion here. Is he, he's bringing them both together. Okay, he brings them both together. He's alluding to the past, but he's talking about the present, and he's alluding to Babylon. He could be talking about Babylon, which is which was the which was the the city between two rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates. So he's bringing. Remember, he's thinking about the old, what what God did do, and the same God can do it today. The same God who did it then can do it now. Babylon is now the enemy of God's people. God is going to judge them. And Babylon was between two rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates. So the God that struck the Nile the way he did can do the same thing again with their enemies in this day. That's good news. That's good news for them. And I'm going to go back to us, though. It's, it's, it's also something that we need to think about. You think about, we get the wrong impression that we can do what we want, that somehow we can just pull down God, you know, dust him off and everything and use him we want to. And then when we go and do all these other things, we live our lives outside of God's will and in different areas. God, my friends, is not some blow him off kind of God. God is going to respond. If you're one of his children, he's not going to just let you walk away and do what you want to do. And not because it's a cosmic killjoy, because he loves you so much and doesn't want to see your life destroyed. And if you keep going to the same parties and doing the same thing everybody else is doing, you'll end up in, a situ- in situations that you wish you'd never found yourself in. And God knows it. God loves you and doesn't want that to happen to you. So there will come a time, 
that God will lovingly intervene in your life. And all I'm doing is warning now that you should choose to do it on your own before he gets involved. I remember my dad one time said I did something wrong. I can't remember what it was. But, you know, this is in the days where now it's, you know, he said, go get a switch. You know, you're going to, you know, I'm going to have to spank you. Go get a switch. So I came back and I, I picked up, I picked a stick that if you turned it sideways, it would have snapped in four pieces. It was like a rotted piece of wood out in the woods. He didn't think that was very funny. And then he went and goes, got his own switch. I should have picked mine because he went and got one that I wouldn't have picked. But, you know, hey, I survived too. Don't, don't worry about me. You know, I survived. Sometimes I think we get all carried away. He didn't abuse me or anything. He, he switched me because I did the wrong thing. But that's what, you know, God, God is saying, I'm saying to you, I'm saying to you, choose, my friends, to do the right thing. Choose to make the right decisions. Because sooner or later, the God who loves you, who loves you more than you love yourself, is going to intervene. And he may do some things in your life that you don't particularly care for to get you back on the right track. So it's important that we think through, God, what do we need to do in order for us to be on that right track? Help me to make the right decisions that would honor you. Verse 11 continues with the same kind of language. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows and the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath, you strode through the the earth and in anger, you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With, with his own spear, you pierced his head with his warriors storming out to shatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. Again, what we have, what we have here is Habakkuk recalling history. And a picture of God's judgment all mixed together. He's recalling the past and he's got a picture of God's judgment and he's pulling it all together. Habakkuk trusts God to deliver his people. Habakkuk trusts God to deliver his people. Habakkuk knows that his prayers will one day be answered. And he's trusting in his God. He's thinking of the past. He's putting together the, the God, his, the character of God, and he knows that his prayers will be answered because he knows his God. Things may get worse for a time, but Habakkuk knows the end of the story because he knows the character of his God. That is so important. He goes through all this ups and downs and waves and whys and hows and I don't understand and this is not fairs. But ultimately, unlike Jonah, he's a man of faith. And he knows the end of the story. Why does he know the end of the story? Even though he may not, he may not, he doesn't know if he's going to live to see it. He knows the end of the story. Why? Why does he have faith? Why does he come back? Because he knows the character of his God. We get lost sometimes because we don't know. We don't truly know the character of God. We don't take the time to understand who God is. We don't do what Habakkuk did. We don't go back and think about, yes, God brought me. I talked about the finances early on. I said, you know, we need the money because we're going to do this. But you know why I'm not like completely panicked here? Because for the last 12 years, these things come up. And guess what? We're still standing and whether, whether no one gives a penny today, okay, guess what? We're still standing. Why am I not totally panicked? I'm concerned. I'm concerned. 
but not totally panicked. Why? Because for 12 years, you can change this pattern if you'd like, Lord. But for 12 years, <laughs> not stopping anyone from dropping a big old chunk and making me not think about it anymore. But for 12 years, he's gotten us through it. If I wrote a book about Grace Chapel, you know what I call it? Our daily bread. That's what I call it. Our daily bread. Those offices are going to be finished just like the big building over here was finished with no capital campaign. Why? Because whatever we need, God brings it. So I don't panic. Why? Because I know the character of my God. And as long as I'm walking faithfully with my God, I know that God is going to do what God needs to do to bring us to the place we need to be. And you should apply that to your life as well. Habakkuk knows the character of his God so he knows the end of the story. He may have to wait. My friends, listen. He may have to wait, but in remembering the past, it gives him faith for the future. He may have to wait, and that's going to be hard. I'm sorry, this must be really difficult for him. He may have to wait, but in remembering the past and going back, good principle for us to learn, in remembering the past, it gives him faith for the future. It's an example that we all need to follow. Every single one of us need to follow this. You may be in the midst of the storm right now. You may be in the midst of the turmoil right now, but you can trust the power and character of your God. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will help you through the challenges of your life. And he will love you. Listen to this. He will love you until the end of your life and beyond. That is the God that we serve. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our faith. Habakkuk is a man of faith, struggling through like all of us do, trying to understand why life, why things in life don't turn out the way we want them to, why they don't turn out the way we planned. But at the end of the day, we can trust in the character of our God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we can spend together. And God, I just pray. God, I pray that you would touch the hearts of each person here. Some people are going through some just traumatic experiences in their life. They're going through struggles and stresses and, and pains and loss and difficulty. God, I just pray that you would touch their hearts, that you would give them the faith of Habakkuk. For all he's been through, Lord, he turns around at the end and he says, I trust you. My faith is in you, my God. Help us to trust your character. Help us to trust what we know about you from what we've experienced in the past. We're all standing here, Lord. We're all here. You brought us this far and you're going to finish this race. You're going to finish this journey with us. So we ask that you would strengthen us for the journey, that you give us the tools, the gifts that we need to accomplish all that you have for us as individuals and as a church. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great, great week.